Fatak. Did you see that title? Probably wondering what it is. Unless you've read ahead. Well, with all the different ways of communicating in our times, such as cell phones, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, FaceTime, Skype, and text messaging, and there are probably a thousand other ones. That's the ones I know of anyway. We can, pe- uh, we can actually keep in touch with people no matter where we're at, at what time. I mean, you can know exactly what somebody's doing if, if they will uh, allow you to do that, and usually a lot of people are. Uh, if you're on Facebook, probably sometimes you've seen some uh, messages from people from where they're at, and at the time you don't really care. <laughs> they, they tell you that um, what they're eating at the time, what they're fixing, and it looks really good, and you're going, hmm, and you're real hungry. But uh, you can find out what they're doing next in a split second. I mean, just that quickly. And you can tell um, if, if somebody's out shopping, they uh, they might even uh, let you know that they're at, uh, at Old Navy. Uh, you might even get a picture of them standing in front of Barnes and Nobles or something like that. I'm not trying to give uh, uh, plugs here for these businesses, but it's amazing how uh, many times you get uh, pictures from people that uh, right there on the spot. Now, we live in uh, 2013, is that what year we're in? We don't lack for any kind of communication, right? I mean, we have it. We have everything that we need. Now, when you think of going back into the time of Christ, can you imagine what it would be like if that kind of communication that we have here today would have been there as Jesus traveled from one location to another location to another one. He's traveling all over Galilee. Now he's gone up north of Israel. And he's gone out of the area. He's gone into Gentile territory. It's amazing how the message gets around, though. And uh, so whenever somebody sees him, hears him, uh, it uh, definitely multiplies and people are there. Well, we went up from Tyre, like about 50 miles away, went further up north to Sidon, and as he's traveling there, uh, and he stays there, it's actually uh, quite some time, and the crowds continue to follow him no matter where, and so he's coming back down south into Israel, uh, and he tries to keep a low profile because this is a time that he wants to teach the disciples, uh, which he doesn't get a lot of time with them because of the crowds uh, that are around him constantly. But word of mouth, it's very effective. Even without the communication, those people would uh, be telling and uh, people would be there. I think it would been quite interesting to have Twitter at that time. Wouldn't it have been interesting? You can imagine uh, all the miracles that he's doing, and, and there they are giving another message, uh, dealing with uh, one of these miracles, and then about 30 seconds later they have another one that comes up. People are just going crazy, you know. You've seen that. If you watch Cardinal Baseball, you'll see that people always have the messages that come on, and they have uh, their thoughts and opinions up to date. So it's a moment by moment comment that people would be making. And uh, you look at scripture here, and isn't it fascinating that we have uh, a message here that is astonishing, it's amazing. Um, We see people that were blown out of their minds at the time. I mean, uh, how else do you get all this stuff out? Well, people hearing things that they never heard before. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about the very gospel, saving grace that Christ is offering. And it's unbelievable 
what they're hearing and seeing and experiencing. And this is real history, isn't it? I mean, this is real. This really did happen. It's not just a story or a true story that we're dealing with, but this is the gospel. This is much more than just history. Much more than a story. It's the kingdom of God. It's about eternal life, isn't it? This is where it's really at. This is where everything was happening. It's about God and His reign in the kingdom of God. Uh, We're talking about uh, a message here that you really want to get into. Uh, Today, we try to build this up a little bit, be thinking, okay, this is God's Word. Think how precious it is. And, And this Bible that we have is the greatest text message that anyone can ever receive. I'm telling you, and this is all truth for eternal life. So it comes right from the mind of God. It's the very Word of God. So the next text message that we're going to study and look at here is Jesus is still in a Gentile area, even though he's gone from Tyre and Sidon. He and the disciples go back into Israel. It uh, goes into the Decapolis area. So we set this up, give a little background. We realize that there are ten cities that are over on the other side of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus and the disciples really haven't been except for one time and they were told to leave. And so that is where they have headed from Sidon as they crossed mountains and gone over. And they come to a man who is deaf and he can't speak. And so this man has a terrible physical defect that is, it, it's, it's horrible when you think about that situation. We know of people that are like that, but we don't think too much about it. They just happen to have a, a bad uh, defect, and that's the way it is. They'll, they'll live with it. But put yourself in that spot. Now, if this man couldn't ask questions. He, you know, he can't speak. He can't hear explanations. I mean, he's, he's helpless whenever there's something going on and he doesn't know what's happening. He can't read. Jesus has been speaking everywhere. We know there have been miracles. Does this man even know about Jesus? The truth of the scriptures, though, have been hidden from him. He doesn't know what it is. There's no communication that he's able to get. He's in a miserable, hopeless Situation, And that's where we want to get our heads into today. That this is representing, even though it's a physical thing that's happening, it's representing the spiritual sense of all of mankind. That's the idea that we want to get in our heads. And when we think about it, uh, uh, a helpless person who can't hear or talk or make communication, and all the communications that we're familiar with today, what a situation he's in. We go crazy if we forget our phone. This morning I forgot my phone. I always put it in my pocket. It's not there. And I thought, what am I going to do? <laughs> I might need it later on today. Uh, it's okay. I think I'll probably get by. I, I did for quite a few years before all that. But it, uh, it's kind of nice to have communication, isn't it? You remember the Syrophoenician woman? She was in a helpless situation as she wanted help for her daughter who was demon-possessed. You remember that? And nobody could deliver that girl from that demon. That demon living in her. But Jesus Christ. She was helpless. And the Syrophoenician woman knew that Jesus is the only one that's going to take her out of this dark bondage. 
So this is a, is a striking parallel to what really happens when we know Christians have been brought out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Hey, let's read the scripture. Enough of what I'm saying here. Let's get to the Word of God. Turn to chapter 7 of Mark. And uh, we're in verse 31. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre, came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatah, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. And the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Let's pray. Father, what a glorious God you are. As you give us this story this morning, even though many of us have probably heard this many times. Bring it alive to us. Bring this truth to us in a living manner and in a way that is displaying your power so that we would be awed. In your son's name, amen. Okay. He uh, says, gives a little travel here, uh, gives the background. Uh, I've said some of this already. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre 40, 50 miles from Capernaum where they've been hanging out at Sea of Galilee out of the, the country then they come to Sidon another 20 miles further now they're up there somewhere around 70 miles away deep into Gentile territory deep into great cities of the Gentiles the Phoenicians the Syrophoenicians and uh, then now what's going to happen as they head on down south we know that uh, they are going to be mountains they're going to have to cross um, there's going to be some pretty rugged terrain, and uh, so that's that's what's happening as uh, they kind of return to the the land where they've been most of the time. Only thing is, it's going to be a different territory. It's going to be the Gentile territory, which uh, they really haven't uh, been. This has been at least many many weeks, if not months, as they approach the last part of the ministry of Christ. And uh, so he's finishing it up uh, pretty shortly here. And, of course, he's dealing with the Gentiles now, which he hadn't before. Uh, in Galilee, he has people against him. It's the Pharisees, the scribes, uh, the lawyers, all the people who were the religious elite. Uh, they detested him. And we know that uh, Herod Antipas was not liking the fact that Jesus had been hanging around Galilee. And, of course, he had been the one that beheaded John the Baptist. And, of course, you can think of his own people in Nazareth, as I've mentioned a few other times, his own family. He has not been treated by everybody in a good way. He's been quite a threat to the religious system. And, of course, the disciples, who have been very shallow, uh, need more depth. They need to understand these things of Christ. 
many of the disciples we know in John 6 now have already left Jesus because he said, you have to eat of me, partake of me, I am the very bread of heaven. And so you have at best people that are indifferent to Christ, others who have left him. A lot of things converging on Christ and his ministry as he is in Galilee. All right? So he's going to spend some time with some other people. And uh, so we uh, see that he comes out, the region of Tyre, Sidon, Sea of Galilee, the region of Decapolis. He's in the midst of Decapolis. He comes from the east side. If you wanted to look at some maps or what have you, I guess I could have put some stuff up there to show you what's happening. Hey, I could, if I could think of those kind of things, I think of them right now, you know, and I go, oh man, I could have done that. And Zach would be saying, Zach is back there. Yeah. Uh, Zach would be saying, oh no, that'll be 10 pages. <laughs> um, anyway. Decapolis, uh, Deca, ten, right? Ten cities, ten pretty big cities in that area. Uh, Gentile cities that are on the other side. And if you remember, one time Jesus went there, there was the demoniac. You remember the demoniac? Demoniac uh, was uh, quite a powerful man, uh, possessed with legions, demons. And nobody could control him or take him down. And, of course, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Of course, there was the storm as he went across there. Amazing how the disciples are uh, taking all this in, where he's taking them at, a region that usually most Jews probably wouldn't want to go. Of course, Jesus cast that demon out. That man became quite the news amongst the people. Most people didn't want Jesus there because that was a little too much and so they told him to leave get out of here and he did but he's back and the news has spread so I want you to think of that it doesn't say it right here in this text but we know this is the area and so this this man who everybody knew about that demonically possessed man you'd know about that if somebody was out in the out in the park and nobody goes there anymore because there's a crazy man that lives there. And nobody can contain him. Remember, they put all sorts of things on him, you know, to hold him back, you know, to put him in stocks. And, you know, they, they had him and tried to get him in bondage, and they couldn't do it. They didn't know what to do with him, so they just let him alone. And here he is, a totally changed man. Can you imagine what that would do with people as they saw him and then heard about him and saw what was happening? The time is ripe. Jesus said, okay, I'll go. That was the first time. But he knew he was going to be back. Boy, does he make an impact when he comes back. So he let that man tell about this. Now, these are Greek-influenced towns. They're Hellenized. Very Greek. Okay? Phoenicia, Syrophoenicia, Syria, actually, is the government that is over this area. They're leading there, or where they have been, and all the way down in Decapolis. So it's a Gentile territory. Now think about it. Okay, they have different religions there, don't they? And when Christianity starts knocking on the door and starts to make an impact on other different religions, all of a sudden those religions are not so tolerant, are they? (laughs) As they want us to be tolerant. 
But the thing is, the influence of them was from statues, as you could see there. Jesus probably is seeing them. Disciples are seeing statues of Zeus and Astart, Astaroth. They worship them. Athena, Artemis, Hercules, Dionysius, god of wine. Ancient, ancient territory there. Ancient religions there. They're Gentiles. They're heathens. We're in a pagan area. And Jesus said, here we go, guys. They enter from the east and they're in the midst of that area, the Decapolis, within the region of Decapolis. Or in the midst of it, we'll see that it, as, as it says there. So it's saying something where they're at. And the people are aware of the very power of Christ. They know about it. They've heard about it. Matter of fact, a lot of them just can't wait to see him, and they're going to bring people there, and they're going to bring themselves there to to get healed if they need it. Everybody knows, even without Facebook, even without all the cell phones, they're all there. The lame, the crippled, the blind, the mute—they're there. They're waiting for Christ. All the infirmities. And so they just bring this man up there with them and just kind of fling him at his feet in a sense. Turn to chapter 5 of Mark. You remember that? And I was telling you about the, the demoniac hanging out in the tombs. And he shouts with a loud voice, demonic voice. And... Um, and um, you remember the, the incident with the pigs and such? Go down to verse 15 of chapter 5. It says, They came to Jesus, the herdsman. Okay? You have the demons now that went out of a man, went into the pigs. They came to Jesus and observed the man. They observed him. I mean, they really they checked him out. Why? Who had been demonized, demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, didn't have any clothes before. And in his right mind, right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. <laughs> I guess. How did that happen? Just like that. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their legion. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring that he might accompany him. Hey, I'll go with you. I'm ready to go. Look what you've done with me. I'll serve whatever you want me to do. But I'll go with you. But Jesus said, no. You're not going with us. <laughs> Did not let him. We think, why wouldn't he? What a great disciple this would be to, to go along with him. And he knows what Judas is going to do later on, so he could be the twelfth disciple. Right? <laughs> he says, go home. Go home to your people. And report to them what great things the Lord has done for you. And how he had mercy on you. This man wasn't asking for salvation. (laughs) I mean, he was not looking for that at all. If you'd ask him, who knows what would have come out of his mouth. Wouldn't want to hear it. X-rated. You go tell what the Lord has done and the mercy not getting what you deserve. So he went away began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed. 
So there we go. That's a pretty good setup for where we're at now in this location. That's why Mark goes to great detail in telling us this geographical story. So that's why I, I took quite a bit of time on that because now it should come alive to you even more. Let's say if you were one of those people. How about one of the herdsmen <laughs> you know, who owned those pigs? Who knows? They might have retrieved them later, right? We don't know. But um, in Matthew 15, verse 29 through 31, And Matthew doesn't have the story that Mark has. Matter of fact, Mark is the only one that records this story that we're looking at today. Now that's unusual because almost always we have other Gospels to go to. One or two, maybe even three. But at this time, Mark is the only one. So it's not that we're going to go to Matthew and see that same story. But here's the setup. Uh, 21 through 28 is the Gentile woman and her desiring her daughter to be have the demon cast out. Now, departing from there, verse twenty nine, Jesus it didn't he doesn't even say went up to uh, Sidon. He says, okay, the next incident I'm going to record is this. Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, side, and having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there. You know what he's doing on the mountain? Most of the time, he likes to go up there and pray, doesn't he? And large crowds, we're talking thousands, thousands, large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame. I want you to picture this. Get this visually in your mind of these people just all coming in droves. And some people can't walk, some people can't see, some people can't hear or talk, some are just sick, just by the hundreds and hundreds, they're coming, I would say, by the boatloads. Well, maybe they are. You know, they're close to the Sea of Galilee. Crippled, blind, mute, many others, and they laid them down at his feet and healed them. This is going to be an all-day thing again. You know, just one after another. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. You know what it's about? That's what Jesus is there for. Don't forget what the whole scheme of things is about anyway. It's about the glory of God. All that other stuff is really cool, but it's about His glory. And don't ever miss that. So, we get into verse 32 of our Mark 7. It says, They brought to Him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty and they implored him to lay his hand on him. They. Who's the they? Well, we can't go to any other gospel parallel. This is it. They. And that's all we get. You know what? That's pretty cool. Every word is from God. Let's move on. They. They brought to him. No. Think about it. These are people that you never hear of in the Bible. You don't know their names. You don't know who they are. These are really important people. These are people who were serving somebody. They didn't have to do this. They must have really cared for this guy. I don't know if it's his family. It just, it just says they. There are a bunch of no-names. 
And what's so good about that is that even though there are people we don't know and their names don't even show up in the credits back in the back of the book, you know, you have Revelation and, and then you have like some kind of uh, charts and monies and weights and measures and concordances and stuff and they're not even back there. But this is good because this is you, it's me, it's us. We're really a bunch of nobodies, a bunch of no-names, not deserving of anything, but what has God done for us? And then you look in Revelation and you see we get a new name. We've been changed. We are somebody because we are the king's children. But the thing is, it doesn't matter whether their names are in there or not. God knows who they are. And it doesn't matter what men know of us and think of us. A vast number of Christians, and most Christians are unknown. We get to see some names in the Bible. There's several in here. But most Christians, most believers, are not listed in the book. But we're the people of the book. And that's what counts. I think it's a lot better to be known by God rather than being known by men. And that's what some people want to do. They want to be famous. And they'll do anything to get famous. Even terrible things. If they can just get famous, people would know. These people that are they, how long are we going to spend on this word? We'll never get to the end. Well, they didn't have any reservations. They come to Jesus knowing that he can heal this man. And so they just bring him there. They know exactly that he can do it, that he's going to do it. All they wanted to do was get their friend, whoever he is, going down there right in front of Jesus. Well, threw him down, but that's kind of what it said in Matthew. And people are experiencing things that just has never happened. This is unbelievable. Now it says they brought to him one who was deaf. This this man, it, it says that he spoke with difficulty. It's a possibility, and from what I gather from the, most of the commentators, they'll say, actually, if he did speak, it was not, and it definitely was not very good, or it seems to be in the past tense that he had spoken a little bit at some time earlier. So we don't even know if he was born this way or you know, whether he got it later. Uh, it's not really stated, and that's not the point. But this idea of death, have you ever sat in a room where there is absolutely nothing going on? That's pretty quiet right there. But I heard a fan. I heard a little something else. I mean, it was really quiet. You probably heard a pin drop there if I put it down on the table. But, you know, I mean, they don't, they're not hearing anything. How do you get the message of the gospel to these people? It's kind of interesting. I think Mark, and of course Peter is the one giving him information too, I have to think that he might be thinking of some things in the Old Testament here 
there's a word here for uh, this dealing with uh, death and spoke difficulty Megillalon spoke for, with difficulty it's the only time this word is used in the New Testament one time in the Old Testament it is used one time in the Septuagint or the Greek 70 or the Greek translation of the Old Testament the Old Testament is in Hebrew but there was a Greek translation of it and so that word is found one time in the Old Testament and I think it's a great chapter to go to one of the greatest about the kingdom of God that will sometime happen for all of us who believe in him look in Isaiah 35 some 700 years before Christ let's see what's going on here what a what a great prophecy this is good news folks I mean this is glorious Isaiah gives some deep dark judgments up through about chapter 39 but there are tents of good news occasionally spread out the wilderness and the desert will be glad you live in the Middle East you know about the desert you know about the wilderness and the Arabah will rejoice and blossom there's hardly anything there nothing grows like the crocus it will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy the glory of Lebanon will be given to it the majesty of Carmel and Sharon they will see the glory of the Lord the majesty of our God is this majestic? encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble you guys ever felt exhausted? isn't it great to be encouraged? you ever felt feeble? Say to those with anxious heart, take courage. Fear not. This is what the glorious good news is about, isn't it? This is what grace is about. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but He will save you. Then, here we go, the eyes of the blind will be open, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped Here's what we're talking about. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. The scorched land will become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water and the haunt of jackals its resting place. Grass becomes reeds and rushes. A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the Highway of Holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, unbelievers. But it will be for him who walks that way. And fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go up on it. These will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. That's what we look to, folks, and that's great news, isn't it? Oh, man. I mean, that is great news. That's in the midst of a judging book of Isaiah. 
what was going to happen to Israel. But he says, here's what's going to happen eventually. We must hear good news of the glory, of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And he says, the ears, the death will be unstopped. The tongue of the mute, the tongue of the mute will speak for joy. There we get that same idea, the same thought. This is eschaton here. This is eschatology, taking us to the, the fullest, what, what we are meant to have. The prophets anticipated that God would wrap this up. Well, when Jesus arrives, the deaf are there, the blind, the lame. And he sure healed a lot of people. Of course, we know the cross is the ultimate. That's that's where, where everything is headed. But things haven't come to the final culmination yet. We still live in a sin-infested world. I want to tell you, death mutes at that time, when this man is living, they were categorized as insane. Just because your death doesn't qualify you as insane. We know that. But the Pharisees, scribes and all religious people, rabbis, said this, We have no way of knowing what they understand. So therefore, they're insane. They're crazy. So they were not granted normal human rights. In the Gentile world, it was even worse. So that's what this man is facing. And the Pharisees, as far as they were concerned, these people that were deaf were people that were cursed by God. And they were being judged by God. As far as they were concerned, they can just go to hell. That's what the religious people claimed to them. They called them unclean. Man was deaf. And yet Jesus, a a man who is considered to be a religious man who takes an absolutely opposite view, it seems like, on everything that these religious people do. So what happens? They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and that speaking with difficulty means he's probably not even, he's probably not even speaking now. This is past tense. Can't speak, can't hear. And if he does speak, if it is in the present tense there, can't really make anything out of it much. They implored him. They implored Christ. That means they're begging him. They might even be getting down on their knees. They're begging him. They're beseeching him on the behalf of the needy person. He can't beg. He can't even beg, folks. I guess he could have. He could have got down in some kind of sign language, but... They're doing it for him. Uh, this is like prayer. This is what believers are to be doing for those people that are needy. This is what the church is to do. To be a praying congregation for the ones who need the mercy of God. They want him to lay hands on him. He's going to do that. And we come. That was the request. Now we come to the sign language. Jesus has his own sign language. It's very interesting. 33, Jesus took him aside. That's the first thing he does. 
took him aside, got him away from the crowd. Took him by himself. And here are the things that did. Puts his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And he looked into heaven. And then he had a deep sigh. Those are the things that uh, Jesus does here. There's a heap of people. Everybody's wanting to be healed. Jesus takes this man aside. That's the only time probably anybody has really taken care of him this much. To, of course, he has his people that have brought him there and has the request. I think it could be a very a lot of jostling going on. This crowd is probably very noisy. This is the man that most people ignore all their lives. Matter of fact, when there's a deaf person around, you don't you don't you really know what to say. You'd like to talk to them, and you don't know sign language. You feel for them, but you feel helpless. You know, you, you try to do words really big with your mouth. You know that maybe they can read your lips and whatever. But uh, sometimes you know you're not getting through them, and so you know people don't know what to do with them. But people probably have disdained this man scorned him and here is a total stranger I haven't had a stranger come up to him and just show compassion and kindness that he had never received this is not another face in the crowd here Jesus takes this one and shows his care for him and he's going to have a little bit of time alone with, with Jesus and Full attention. How would you like to have full attention from Christ our Lord? Did you know you have that every day? When you trust Him, He is there all the time. The compassionate one really knows, really cares about everything that you go through. And he uses the sign language and He touches the areas there of the man's knee. And you say, what, what, what is He doing? puts His finger into His ear. You know, does he really need to do that? He could just say, you know, just say, Ephata. That's it. A lot of times Jesus will do that. Sometimes he'll do different ways. And he has an individual here that he's going to treat, and I think it's very compassionate in the way that he does this. He's identifying with the man that he knows full well what the problem is. He knows, Jesus knows this man is not insane. And even if he were, He's taken care of that before too, hasn't he? Alright, so you know, he knows he knows this man is not a maniac, he's not a crazy guy. But he knew. Jesus knew this man and he knew that this man needed to see what he was going to do. And so he has this gesture. And it it shows that, you know, every one of us who trusted in Christ we know we're saved by grace, but every one of us has a different, unique story. How we got saved. And God is the one who does that, right? He does it in a way that is a little different. And so it happens here. And the second thing he does here is he touches the man's tongue. After he had had some spittle, Jesus spit it. He touched this man's tongue. And he's like saying to this man, I understand what's going on here. You have a speech problem. 
can't hear him, but he said, I'm going to fix that. So his ear, now the, the tongue. Go back to Mark one thirty one. This is Peter's mother-in-law. Look at how he touches people. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand. Fever left her. She waited on that. Did you notice that? Raised her up, took her by the hand. Gentle, compassionate way. A touch from somebody can be as healing as anything sometimes. Just to know that people really do care. You have been touched at the right time. It's a good thing. Look in verse 41. This is God on earth. Can you imagine Him shaking hands with you? <laughs> Taking you by the hand? Well, He does. He does spiritually, doesn't He? Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out His hand. This is to the leper. The guy nobody ever touches. You will be unclean. Don't ever touch a leper. Don't even get close to him. And if you get downwind to him, you get way away. You don't even get close. And here's Jesus. Does he know? Yeah. Move with compassion. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. God... The creator of the universe is there touching. Chapter 5, verse 41. What a remarkable thing. Oh, this is Jairus' daughter. Pretty serious thing here. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talapakum, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astonished. It says there, he took the child by the hand. This is one who had died. Takes it by the hand, says, get up. Chapter 6, verse 5. And he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. That was around the Nazareth area. <laughs> when he went back home, he couldn't even heal there because of the unbelief even amongst his own household. But a few people he laid his hands on, he touched them, identified with their condition. Not a magical touch or anything. He's not magical. He is God. <laughs> He's deity. He can do anything he wants. But he identifies with those people. They really need it. So there's three signs that he's done. The ears and the tongue. Right? You also notice that he's sighing here. Or he's looking up into heaven. We've got to get that one. Back to our Mark 7. Verse 34, looking up to heaven. That's pretty easy. Jesus looked up. I can think of, uh, there are certain players, baseball. I relate to baseball a lot, sorry. You guys don't like baseball. You have to put up with me for a few seconds and I'll get out of it. But I remember Albert Pujols every time he would hit a home run or 
get a base hit or a double. Anything like that. So, the Lord is the one that gives him that strength. You know, a little magical thing, but it's something to say. And he knows where God gives him the credit for everything. You see a lot of players will do something like that. But Jesus is, is looking up and he's saying, I look to God for my help. Jesus is God, but he's praying to the Father in heaven. So he looks up to him. Whence comes the help of the Lord, right? Remember that song? And then he sighs. There's another sign language. So how does a man hear a sigh? Well, just by body language. When you sigh, you know, who knows how he did it. But the man sees that too. He's seen and, and felt this. He sees what Jesus is doing. He knows this is coming, this healing is going to come from heaven. He doesn't really know what's happening. We don't get a lot of emotional responses by Jesus. We do. We see the compassion and such. But this sigh, even though it's one word there and you go, you you tend to move on, I think that's incredible there because I think it's dealing with response to what sin does to mankind. Here's this man in this horrible condition. Terrible condition. Just don't take it for granted. Well, that's deaf. People are deaf all the time, just the way it is. Uh, there's an expression of sympathy, an expression of pain over where this man is at, all the suffering that he had to deal with. So the tenderness is there. He's showing emotion. God is compassionate. So he touched. He sighed. He looked. He spoke, right? Jesus is using sight and sound. Because as soon as he said that word, be open, the man hears the word. Hears, he hears, Ephata. That's an unusual word. I think there's a reason why that has to be put there. Because when you pronounce that word, and you're probably thinking, how do you pronounce that? Ephata. He sees those lips moving. Ephata. And it's probably in Aramaic. That's a, uh, the language that was popular, especially where they'd be at there. You see some Aramaic in, in Scripture, uh, common language. Jesus spoke that as, as well as Hebrew. And of course, we know there's Greek in the languages. But he says, be opened. And now we get to the result in verse 35. And his ears were opened. And the impediment of his tongue was removed. And he began speaking plainly do you understand the extent of this to hear is one thing but to be able to know what you're hearing is a language that you're probably not familiar with he doesn't know how to speak this and it's like learning a language in a matter of a split second and he understands perfectly is a miracle in itself isn't it there's no speech therapy here where he has to go and now learn the language it's going to take some time he's going to have to go to school uh, he, you know he knows Aramaic if he needs to know Greek he'll probably know that too but uh, a language that he didn't really hear before or understand and he spoke it plainly and the word is orthos with the pedics it means to straighten out. 
Sometimes it's used for uh, a man's bones who have been healed or straightened out. And here we get this, uh, everything is straightened out. Speaking plainly. He's speaking plainly, correctly, uh, in a straight way. And now we come to the astonishment. The reactions by the people. Kind of interesting in verse 36, though, he gave them orders. I just, I don't know. Uh, not to tell anyone. Okay, listen. Glad you're speaking and speaking plainly. Hey, I don't want you to tell anybody that. <laughs> you tell the people, don't tell anybody. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. How could you not? keep from doing that now we'll get to that in a moment but can you imagine you've been in this condition for no who knows how long and all of a sudden you speak and you understand I mean this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to you and you're told now not to say anything about it how can I do that how can you hold that back come on he said, come on, I've never said anything in my life, or maybe, or it's been many years, and I have something to say, and I mean, what I have to say is just absolutely astonishing. It would kill me to hold this back. What are you telling me? Oh, Jesus said, yeah, uh, could you just not say anything about this? Oh, what an agonizing command. How do I handle this? Frankly, I've got to kind of go with him on this one. (laughs) You know what I mean? I have to be lining up with this guy. I know what the Lord says. I know what he says is right. I can't imagine this kind of human restraint in this situation. I mean, what are you saying? You can't speak for the rest of your life? Or what's going on? Now... He was not able to speak before, and now he's unable not to speak. You know? Don't tell everybody that I'm a miracle worker, Jesus is saying, and a healer. He said this quite frequently, hasn't he? It draws people for the outward things. We already have a big enough crowd. You don't have to go out and tell everybody that this, you know, come to the miracle worker, come to the tent, you know, the big revival. Because it's all about healing. Jesus is not all about healing. He did that. He, you know, he does do it. He can do it any time that he wants. It's a miracle. It's not the norm. But he doesn't want people to come to him for outward things. And that's what many were doing. And that's why many left in John 6. They left his disciples. Not the 12, but many that were following him. Because it was about outward things. They wanted to be fed. They wanted to have that 5,000 fed every day. What a great thing. That's not what he's about. Uh, look in Luke 9, 18. We're about ready to close shop here. 9, 18. And it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, Who do the people say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. 
But others that one of the prophets of old has risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. The Messiah of God. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone. I thought we were all supposed to be doing that. Saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. There is where the gospel takes effect. There are things yet to be done. People are going to come to him anyway. He's still going to heal those people. But ultimately, we're talking about the gospel whenever it's done. And he says, there's going to be a lot of suffering and there's going to be death involved and resurrection before all of this really comes to play. This is really good what we're seeing now, but there's something much more important than why I'm really here. Not the outward things. You know what? The crowd recognized that this was a work of God. So can you see why he was telling orders? You know, that immediately, you know, have people just coming here for these things. But they went out and proclaimed it even more. Can't blame them. (laughs) They were utterly astonished. Super abounding. And wonder. I, I don't know what word you can use here. And, and Mark just, he says, utterly astonished. What else can you do? You can just keep on adding words. I mean, this is, this is phenomenal. Uh, this, nothing like this happens. He has done all things well. This man is perfect. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Can you imagine that? In Genesis 1 4, here's the Creator. Jesus is the Creator. God, the Father, is the Creator. As the Holy Spirit was all involved with it. The whole triune God in Genesis 1-4, God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, there was morning one day. What did He call this, though? The light was good. All his creation. God is a good God. Look in verse 10. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. It's perfect. It's it's good. (laughs) Verse 12. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. Hey, did you guys see the vegetables out there? Those look really good. And um, I think you guys are saying, hey, whoever wants to help themselves to that, go right ahead. It's really good. We helped ourselves to a couple of those. What do they call those long things? Huh? Zucchinis. Yeah, zucchinis. I'm astonished. Those are really good, especially when Carolyn makes it. Gets that grill and puts the right kind of season. Oh, man, it's good. God's creation. Plants yielding seed after the kind. God is a good God. He could have made this earth all brown and black and, you know, a little bit of white, and that's it. And here, have a little bit of, uh, you need some manna. That's all you're going to get. 
all. That's all right. Oh, God. It is just astonishing. He does all things well. <laughs> Doesn't he? Doesn't he create and then keep us sustained? What a great God. Okay, we're done. All one thing. What's the practical lesson for all this? That's a good story. That's a, I forgot about that story. Oh, it's more than a story. This is, this is life. This is gospel. This is kingdom. This is description of what God does in His grace and mercy and love. But I do want to tell you the description of what life is without Christ. Before Christ is there, everybody is blind and deaf and dumb and mute. Every conversation that we had really had nothing to do with God. And we were in darkness. And did you know that was a miracle that he did there but every conversion of somebody is brought to Christ is a miracle the miracle of all miracles whenever he changes a soul and brings them from death to life God does that all by his grace every time people say they hear they see they speak and they're totally different they've been changed this man had been cut off from the life of God, cut off as far as dialogue with God, cut off from any connection, any kind of message that was there, he really was cut off from. A pitiful sight. And this miracle shows the good news. The good news is the compassion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who came to this man where he was and made him whole again. That is astonishing, folks. Don't ever take it lightly because if you've trusted in Christ, you know exactly that experience. If one hasn't trusted in Christ, well, certainly, by all means, that is the only way.